0: This won't end well for Illinois. Here's a three. It ended well. McCourt for the
1: win in the air. It It is up and it is gone. Fourth and sixteen. Present comes and Matt Orbebe with the ball in the air makes the catch. Welcome to Oski Talk. I'm Drew Pastoric. I'm going to recap the previous week that was in Fighting Alina Athletics. A lot of hoops chatter today, a little bit of football as well. And happy to be joined once again by my colleague at the Champagne Room, Mr. Plez Honeywood. Plez, good to see you once again. And uh, we talked a little bit last week that this was going to be a busy week specifically for brad underwood's team and it certainly was i i I don't think either game actually northwestern or purdue kind of went according to plan i think we were happier about one result than the other but i would say neither one of those games really went the way we thought that they would go and we'll dive into that more but i mean i think certainly we didn't expect uh to pulverize northwestern the way that they did and then That first five minutes of Purdue was like you want to tear out your eyeballs. But, yeah, I I think we'll have plenty to discuss regarding those two matchups throughout the day today.
0: I I agree. I I think this week went off with zero on-court actual disasters. Yeah. I I, I think we have a pretty decent idea of where this roster is at this point in the season heading into the heart of conference play, and I think we've got – we got a little bit of clarity.
1: 100%. I think clarity is the story, the theme of the day. That might be the episode of the the name of the episode of this podcast now to think about it. So thank you, Ples, for that. Uh, before we dive in, just a reminder that Oski Talk is sponsored by Liddyville LLC. You can join the movement and support University of Illinois athletes as well as alumni organizations and charities. All that merchandise is officially licensed at liddyville.com. And you can also follow them on Twitter at Liddyville Gear, L I T T Y V I L L E. Let's start with reviewing our Illini of the week. I kind of have stepped away from that the past couple of episodes, but uh, I made, I, I meant to mention this last week as we were doing our year end wrap up stuff, but got to give a shout out to uh, some of the Illini wrestlers for the performance at Midlands specifically Edmund Ruth for winning at 174 pounds. Uh, Midlands is a pretty big deal. It's not, you know, the national tournament or anything like that, but it's a pretty big event. And Illinois represented themselves very well, Edmund Ruth specifically. So I had to give a shout out to him. And then I uh, saw this over the weekend as well, that Illini Track had a, a pretty good performance to open its season as well. Illinois track and field did open the indoor season over the weekend. Very solid start to the 2024. They had 12 athletes reach a top 10 mark in program history. 12 new top 10 performances from the Illini Open. So we have Amber Simpson in the weight throw, 20.31 meters. Tori Thomas, 4.42 meters in the pole vaults believe that's number two in the program uh asia thomas in the 60 meters ran a time of 7.28 which is also very impressive uh the weight throw we had jordan cascandi 19.51 meters on the women's side and we had cam garrett on the men's high jump 2.18 meters Mia Morello, the women's pole vault, 4.22 meters. That was good for third in program history. Azariah Bryant, 7.34 seconds in the 60 meter dash or 60 meter run, however you want to look at that. Leah Pasqualetti, seventh in program history in the pole vault, 3.97 meters on the women's side. Uh, Again, the weight throw, a lot of strong. Appearances there, Faith Deering, 17.23 meters. Daniel Mboyo in the men's long jump, 7.58 meters. Lyric Driscoll in the women's long jump, 6.01 meters. That's good for number 10 all time at Illinois. And Sophia Beckman, 7.38 seconds in the women's 60 meters. So uh, kudos to them. Again, 12 Illini athletes starting 2024 with top 10 program marks. So just wanted to give them their kudos as well as we start the show today. So with that, we can transition to the uh, headlines of the past week. Let's start with football, Plez. Let's start with that. Just uh, knock that out. Brett Bielema got a very nice recruit, a very nice transfer commitment over the weekend. And that is Cole Rusk, a tight end. He's an in-state kid originally from Rock Island, so it's a Quad Cityan like myself. Not a lot of high-profile D1 athletes from that particular region of the state. Illinois does have Matthew Bailey, who's from Moline. Mac Rosetic is from Spring Valley, which is kind of on the outskirts of the Quad Cities area, Um, and not a lot of impact talent typically, at least at the D1 level for football. So Cole Rusk trying to change that perception. Initially played at Eastern Michigan, then transferred to Murray State, where he was a third-team FCS All-American in 2023. Uh, Very, very stout numbers for Cole Rusk. Had 39 catches a year ago, 512 yards, and six touchdowns. Plez, could I interest you in that from the tight end position?
0: You certainly could. We haven't had that kind of offensive Right at the tight end position, since maybe DJ Barker might have been the yeah. last one. I mean, and I think he's the all-time leader in touchdown catches at the University of Illinois, and the number of touchdowns he had was like shockingly lower than you would. Right, you mean among them. tight ends? Yeah, among tight ends. Yes, among yeah. tight ends. So having a, a better receiving threat at that position helps a lot because you know Henry Boyer projects as possibly an NFL caliber blocker at at tight end. That might be a hill I'm going to die on one day, but I'm very much high on Henry Boyer's ability as a blocker. So you need to compliment, you know, with him, Griffin Moore, Tanner Ark, you need to compliment that with a sure, a sure-handed receiver. This is a key commit from a passionate kid who wanted to play for the Illini at a position of great need. And I just want to give a special shout out to, Brett Bielema and staff, because they're using the portal in a similar way to how Coach Underwood and staff used the use the portal prior to this season. Instead of just saying we're going to get superstars, like no, we know what we need. We know the exact kinds of players that we need. We know where we have we lack depth, and we know where we underachieve. So we're going to find players who are accomplished, who know how to do the things that we need. We're going to zero in on them. We're going to get them on campus and we're going to close. And Rusk yeah. in particular had a great offer list. You know, Lane Kiffin, who's who's a portal master, Lane Kiffen was lurking in the background. You don't want to let, you don't want to let Hottie Tadi get their hands on <laughs> a player you're pursuing. Yeah. And so it was wonderful to keep him in state. That's a major weapon for RuPaul Meyer and the Illinois offense next year.
1: Yeah, Ole Miss, like you said, Plez, Texas AM also offer right away. I actually got a chance to chat with Cole Rusk a little bit earlier in the weekend. You'll be hearing that later this week at the champagne room. But he he touched on it. He he's from Rock Island. And I've mentioned this that where we are, where we're situated in the state of Illinois, it's very crisscrossing with Iowa. There's a lot of spillover, a lot of Hawkeye fans in that particular area of the state. And day one, he always wanted to play for Illinois. His dad was a wrestler at Illinois back in the day. And he mentioned that he was a class of 2021 kid. He had an offer from Illinois and an offer or a visit, I should say. He was going to visit Iowa, visit Illinois back-to-back days and literally the day before he's going to make his visit to Illinois covid shut everything down and so you go from feeling pretty confident that like i'm going to go to illinois like that's he said uh, in our conversation that's where he wanted to go he'd always said illinois on the brain that's where he saw himself playing you know a lot of his friends and family root for illinois so and that was important to him and then poof his future is up in the air and he goes to eastern michigan basically sight unseen. He just made a couple of calls and committed on the spot. Then wound up, uh, wound up going to Murray State. And I mentioned the numbers earlier, becomes a, an All-American at Murray State, an FCS All-American. And then the news of the immediate two-time transfers came about. And Cole Rusk seized that opportunity to bet on himself a little bit and level up and... He's big as well. He's not just a guy who catches a lot of passes. I mean, he's six foot six. He's like 240 pounds. Like he's an athlete. You know, think of, you know, Tip Ryman was a big guy. Luke Ford was a big guy. You know, that kind of framework. He went to another level of football to give himself some tape at tight end. And as you pointed out, Plez, that is a big time position of need. Maybe not wide receiver so much. There's some. I think you could still get some help there. I know Illinois went out and uh, offered uh, Bolden. I think his name was Silas Bolden from Oregon State. So, which could help, especially with Isaiah Williams leaving. Um, but tight end was a very, very obvious, glaring need for this offense. And to get a kid like Cole Rusk, you've got to assume that he's penciled in as the week one starter at that position. I just, I don't see how you could swing it any other way griffin moore was good could have been better but he he showed glimpses of why there was some intrigue there with him uh and after that there's no one else that's really proven themselves so i I think it's a great opportunity for cole rusk to boost his profile but also to elevate illinois offense
0: absolutely and and just uh A shout-out to a player who I don't know that we've mentioned enough on this podcast, Owen Anderson. I I think this is time to see what he can do. I I think he and fellow New Jersey native Don Van Leary, this is their year to kind of move ahead on the depth chart offensively. Like, I want to see both of those guys step up and seize positions. I know that in the springtime, there's another window. There's another transfer portal window coming up in April and I would hate to see Illinois lose more than it lose more than it games in that window. But I think there's going to be a roster crunch at certain spots and getting rust makes me think tight end could be a spot where there might be some attrition. There might be a, Hey, you're probably not going to make it. You're not going to play this year. So if you want to play, you know, you might want to think about your future elsewhere.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. Plez and you mentioned quarterback as well. Uh, I think that's a certain spot where you could see some machinations as well. I mean, we know Altmyer's coming back. We assume Luke Altmyer's coming back unless things really go sideways here in the next couple of months as we get closer to spring camp. But you're assuming he's the QB1. One would surmise that just by level of experience or at least time spent in the program, time served, so to speak, that Donovan Leary would get his shot, but there might be somebody you add in the portal too, like a John Paddock type of thing where we like our room, but if something happens to Luke, what's there? And you've got you know some intriguing prospects like a Trey Petty, of course, that's the one that jumps out to a lot of our minds is that could be our electrifying dual threat guy to your point, the greater point is tight end. We're talking about tight end with Cole Rusk and yeah, you've got Boyer, you've got Anderson, you guys that from all accounts, Brett Bielema seems to like and raves about, but we haven't really seen them do very much. And with this day and age, the rubber is going to meet the road eventually. And if they want to play somewhere else, they're going to find somewhere else to go, whether that's, you know, the FCS level or the group of five level, They're going to find out another place to go. So we'll obviously know more about that, as you said, as the original signing period comes about uh, in March and April. We'll find out more as they have those roster conversations and, you know, after spring ball and all that. So, um, but again, a great pickup for Brett Bielema and the offense. No one's really questioning that. Everyone has seemingly been very, very excited about that addition. And I'm excited as well to see what's, cole rusk can do for this offense you need that safety blanket and isaiah williams was that for much of the season last year whether it was luke almeyer or john paddock i would rather have a six foot six 240 pound security blanket than a 5 195 pound security blanket but maybe that's just me i don't know i think uh, that's a uh, you know look at if you look at uh the nfl i mean just look at that as an example look at all these teams like baltimore and san francisco you know, the Bears are leaning on Cole Komet more and more as a trustworthy pass catcher at tight end. I think a lot of the better teams in the league have good tight end play, you know, as as a reliable option, maybe not necessarily a downfield option, but your Kelsey's, your George Kittles, your Mark Andrews, those types of guys. You know, Jimmy Graham was that way for a long, long time. He's still playing, by the way, which is just hard to believe, but he's still trudging away too. Mercedes Lewis still on the bears. He's 39 years old. He's still stealing money from an NFL team, but that's the type of stuff we're talking about. You know, Gronk, Tony Gonzalez, those types of guys can, can those big athletic pass catching tight ends with some versatility can really help you long-term. And I think that's going to help his pro future as well. We don't want to focus on that yet. We want him to fall out in Champagne, but yeah. So the guy with two years of eligibility left, you think is going to project pretty highly if he can, uh, if he can help this offense and he can put up even similar numbers to what he did at Murray state. If he can get, if he can get this offense 40 catches and 500 yards, that's going to be huge.
0: It will, especially in a, in a room or in a situation where there's a little bit of turnover in the wide receiver room and it's at the very, very tip top of the depth chart. Now, Looks like Pat Bryant's coming back, which if that if that holds, that's gigantic. That that's that's a major that's a major retention. But other than that, we have a lot of talent and a lot of questions. So Rusk is a definitive answer. Yeah. And that's that's exactly what, what the Atlanta needed. Shout out to Coach Bielema and Coach Disher for getting that done.
1: Uh, you can read more about the Cole Rusk commitments at thechampagneroom.com, and it said we'll have a, a special bonus episode of the Oski Talk podcast with Cole Rusk. said I had a, a face-to-face with him earlier in the weekend that you can check out uh, as well at thechampagneroom.com later this week. Oski Talk is sponsored by Liddyville, LLC. You can support the movement, support fighting Illini athletes by purchasing officially licensed merchandise at liddyville.com. Again, that's L-I-T-T-Y-V-I-L-L-E.com, and we do thank them for their support and their partnership with Oski Talk. Drew Pastorek, joined by Plez Honeywood, and we're going to shift to basketball now. Ples, you and Brant Dolce were on with me last week, and we were talking about the importance of this week. Illinois had... Dominated against Fairleigh Dickinson or FDU or Fair Dick, whatever you want to call them, <laughs> and then we knew we were setting up for the dawn of Big Ten play. Illinois had a victory over Rutgers in early December as their pre-Big Ten Big Ten game, right? So we were already off on a good foot there, one and zero in conference. We had talked about the importance of this week, Northwestern at home and then at Purdue, specifically as it pertained to not having Terrence Shannon Jr. We know about the charges. We know about the suspension. There's not really been any new information of merit to this point, so we're not going to talk about any of that other stuff. Illinois got that post-TSJ era off to a very good start against FDU, that 104-71 win. And then Northwestern came into State Farm Center, and it was a beatdown, a 30-point win, 96-66 over the Purple Kitties from Evanston. And I know that we were anticipating an Illinois win. I think most of us were expecting that but there was rightfully a little bit of trepidation like, okay, now that big 10 play is starting, how is this team going to look? And it was one game, but what a performance that was against Northwestern on the second. That was just absolutely phenomenal. All five starters had a made field goal by the first media timeout. So they were already spreading it around very quickly Northwestern at one point missed nine straight shots in the first half. Illinois had pulled away, led 48-29 at half. So perfect scenario where there's like no drama, there's no tension. It was just a start to finish complete showing both offensively and defensively Plus,
0: This team as constructed is capable of dominating on both ends, and stopping teams from doing the things that they do best. And Northwestern obviously has good guard play under normal circumstances. And they got punked by 30 points. And that was one of those impressive statement wins that a team makes in conference play to let the other teams in the top tier Of the conference understand that i know there's adversity right now but the squad that's showing up is ready to punch you in the face like this is you know this is this is an underwood mentality team this is a pizza hut parking lot (laughs) team (laughs) yes and 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 i don't mean that in a dirty like violent way i mean that in a in a scrap these guys don't think they're out of it they they don't think that this game is too big for them they're ready they're ready to throw hands and Sure, it doesn't always go to go to plan, but you have a little more confidence in the team that plays stylistically the way this team plays. And Northwestern was a perfect example of how when this team comes together and gets it right on both ends of the floor, they are a legit, you know, top national program and top national team this year.
1: No doubt. And I would even say that the game wasn't even that close and it was a 30 point win. Look at the numbers. Illinois was 35 of 56, half percent total. They were 10 of 18 from three, which we've been, uh, I'll, I'll say, yearning to, to be a little more uh, family-friendly. <laughs> we've been yearning for a game like that from the Illini for so long. Illinois was 65% from the floor in the second half and 70% from three in the second half. So, I mean, it, it got worse for Northwestern in the second half. And that was, you know, again, without Terrence Shannon Jr. We'll talk more about that in a little while. But Coleman Hawkins, 13 points, five rebounds. Quincy Garrier, 14 points, 10 rebounds. Another double-double for him. Justin Harmon off the bench, 20 points, four for five from three. He's really emerged as a terrific option off the bench he's been very reliable the last uh, three or four games and then marcus damask 32 points 11 of 15 shooting 9 of 10 from the line six assists five rebounds and going back to that fdu game he didn't really play all that well offensively and still had 11 points and 11 assists so he is An example of that Brad Underwood guy, like, okay, when the ball isn't going in, how do we still win games? And Marcus Damask was really struggling from three specifically. He's good at that mid-range, and he scores well from in close, and he's a pretty good free throw shooter. But that long-range game, he'd really struggled the last uh, month or so, really ever since, like, Tennessee. Since he had that big game against FAU, he'd really been struggling to find his shot from deep. And I got 32 points against Northwestern. They don't have Chase Audie, so defensively they're going to lose a lot there. But it goes into that mantra of character over characters, and I think uh, I think Marcus Damascus said that in the post game after Northwestern was you know they all buy in, and Brad Underwood's talked about the buy in from the beginning that. This is not an ego-driven team, an agenda-driven team. It's individuals, yes, but they're fighting for a common goal. They understand the plot, as we've said multiple times, Plez, you and I on this show. Uh, They understand the plot, and they know their part in it, and they play it very, very well. Uh, So between that game and FDU, Illinois scored 200 points. 200 points in two games, without a guy who's getting a 20 a night in Terrence Shannon. So it, it just speaks to, again, the depth, the personality of this team that they trust one another. If some guy is not available, if one guy struggles, another guy is going to bubble up and help this team win games. So that put Illinois at 11-2, and 2-0 and in the Big Ten, and that led us to the... Marquee matchup, I would say, of the entire college basketball weekend. Number nine Illinois traveling to Mackey Arena to face number one Purdue. Now, I had said this at the start of the game. We had talked about this, you and I, and Plet, or and uh, and Brandt had talked about it too. Like this is a house money game. Like Illinois, you're you're playing the number one team in the country at home. You're not supposed to win this game. No one's going to be like, oh, shame on you for losing at Purdue. They're the number one team in the country. They're really freaking good. And it's going to sound like I'm doing the moral victory thing. I'm not. But if you go and play well, even in a losing effort, it's, I think, a positive thing. Yes, you lose, and they did lose to Purdue. But you have to be somewhat happy with the resolve the team showed. They played with guts. They played with determination. It was very similar to last year's game in Purdue when they just shot out to a big lead. It was like 24, 25 points in the first half. And we're just like, oh my God, like avert your eyes. This is terrible. They're not ready to play. They didn't show up. And then they made a charge late. They cut that deficit down to one in the final seconds before Illinois was, or before Purdue rather was able to, to hang on and win. We saw a lot of that on Friday night, too, Plez. Illinois, that first five or six minutes, you could not have played worse. Could not have played worse. They were down 20 very early on, just looked like trash. Couldn't rebound the ball. They were trying to play volleyball instead of basketball the way they were tapping the ball around every time there was a missed shot. It was just like, grab the damn ball. Like, what are you doing? And they just looked very out of sorts early on in the game. It looked like the moment might have been a little too big for them. They calmed down a little bit in that second half. They cut that lead down to three with, what, like a minute and a half to go? And then we're all like, oh, my God, don't do this to us again. Like, stop this. (laughs) If nothing else, Brad Underwood is a maestro at conducting competitive losses against top-ranked teams. Um, But again, showing a lot of heart, a lot of fight, They didn't quit. They could have just very easily folded when they were down 20 in the first half and said, you know what? It's not our night. But they didn't. They, they put together a very solid effort, specifically in the second half. Came up short, but again, you're playing the number one team at their place. So, Please, what was your uh, some of your takeaways from Friday night?
0: That's a way of saying, tell me that Brad Underwood really is trying to be time as without saying Brad Underwood is really trying to be time as They played a really, really excellent team and barely lost relatively oh. early in the season, which has <laughs> been the Michigan State M.O. for two decades, which is, we're gonna we're gonna get tournament tough we're gonna play these tough games and we may not win all of them and it may affect our top 25 rankings now but wait yeah. till the selection committee sees us on selection Sunday they're gonna respect us like that what did you
1: say last week uh, wish.tom
0: Wish.Tom. that's right he's wish.com and <laughs> all, but all kidding aside there were a lot of things you could take away from this loss that were actually positive. Uh, number one, it shows that, you know, w- without their best player, the difference between the top team in the conference and possibly the country and the Illini is negligible. That's that's a significant takeaway. But furthermore, what this indicated was that the the level of – it's that toughness. I remember when that play late where Garrier went down hard, and it's like, oh, that was – that was an ugly-looking moment, and then and the wrist, were,
1: the wrist that yes. he'd had injured at earlier in the season, were like, mm. and even uh, even Hummel said the same thing, like, oh man, like that's especially now, that's the last thing Illinois needs is another guy going down. Yeah,
0: yeah, and then he stepped to the free throw line, and hit both of his free throws, like that's that's what this team is. This team's got metal. They got they're resilient. They they took Purdue's heaviest shots and they withstood they withstood them and they came back to make it a game. When when Coleman Hawkins gave us the full Coleman Hawkins experience in a short period of time when he traveled on the inbounds after yeah. the technical free throws and then comes back next possession and hits a three like it's absolutely nothing. Like that's the full Coleman Hawkins experience. But
1: and the, uh, and the foul on Purdue's three-point shooter. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> when he tried to
1: say, he's flopping. He's flopping. I was like, dude, you sat on him. Like, what are you talking
0: about? You, you, <laughs> like, back sp- you sent
1: on backs. <laughs> like, sent. like, it reminded me of Brett Bielema, like when there's a flag that isn't thrown and Brett Bielema is like waiting for the media timeout to like grab the ref and be like, yo, dude, you messed that up. Like, you got to look at that. Like. <laughs> we would call a timeout just to scream at the refs. Like that's what Coleman Hawkins was doing on Friday night. It was like he flopped, man. Or like, okay, maybe he did flop a little bit, but you also hit him on the shot and landed on him. Like, what do you su- like, What do you think is gonna happen? So yeah, we we had a little bit of the uh, the smoothie, the good Coleman and the bad Coleman <laughs> kind of blending together. Yeah,
0: you did everything on that play. <laughs> like, it's, it's not that you did nothing, you did it all. So we're going to need you to take it down a notch. But, but th- that Coleman is, is such a valuable piece because he does – he's capable of doing everything that you need him to do on both ends of the floor. He's essentially – he's ostensibly a guard wing type player with the size to play in the post. And that's an extraordinarily valuable, switchable, interchangeable piece, which is why I think his value to this roster, as it's constructed, is so is so tremendous. Why his return was such a big deal, I, I think that obviously, Purdue's strategy of putting Zach Eadie on Ty Rogers, that was Matt Painter, good job. Like that's that was a good plan. It worked, it worked effectively, and and that, that took Ty out of the offense. And and while while Ty Rogers does have his offensive strengths, he can't do anything when you have a seven foot three, you know, guy with bolts coming out of his neck guarding him. That's just that's just not going to work. So yeah. Purdue was able to stop a lot of what Illinois does well, same as Illinois didn't get killed by the potential national player of the year you know, the, between foul trouble and, you know, some general ineffectiveness, you know, Illinois didn't get killed by the superstar, despite their quote-unquote lack of size.
1: Yeah, I I think that was probably, and I, I was going to ask you about your thoughts on Ty Rogers. So I'm glad you, you pointed that out. Illinois, I think I saw they were minus 22 with Ty on the floor, and that's a big-time outlier because we've yeah. – we've sung the praises of Ty Rogers for your defense and toughness and all that stuff. Like we know he's not an offensive player. He's not really an offense first player or maybe an offense second player, but to be minus 22 with him on the court, that was jarring. We're like, Brad, like you gotta get him out. Like you can't leave him in there. Like you just can't. Like he was, he was just getting tormented. And again, Zach, he's seven foot four and 300 pounds. There's no Kofi Coburn to neutralize that. That was one of the most frustrating parts about that game for me was Zach Eadie really didn't dominate the game. You had the legacy game from Trey Kaufman-Wren, which I feel like every time Illinois plays anybody, they get a legacy game from someone who's not the star player. It's like, oh, this guy averaged just five points a game. Cool, I'll get 17 in the first half and stick it in your eye. We're used to that. Not a surprise whatsoever that Trey Kaufman-Wren looks like, you know, Kobe against Illinois. Well, what did surprise me was that Zach Eadie was, generally speaking, pretty ineffective. But you know, ultimately, Illinois didn't play well enough to win for much of the game. They had that surge in the second half that we usually see, and we joke about the fake rally all the time. Like I said earlier, Brad Underwood is the master of making adjustments, maybe a little bit too late. <laughs> and then the team comes back, and you're like, okay, you're pressing now with two minutes to go. Why didn't you start pressing with six minutes to go? You know, maybe that would have caused some stuff to go differently. It was weird how. It never felt like the result was in doubt, even though Illinois had cut it to like three points with a minute or so to go. You just felt like Purdue was going to win. But it was like, yes, Purdue is number one in the country. Yes, they're very, very good. But they didn't convince me that Illinois was vastly inferior either. I think Illinois is still where they should be. Maybe they're not an elite team, but I think a top 10, top 15 team, absolutely.
0: There's one other thing I wanted to touch on briefly. Um, it kind of relates to the Zach Eady's point. Dane Danger was almost unplayable in that game, and you would think, in theory, this could have been an opportunity for Dane to shine. Right. Which, which brings the question I have: Dane this year versus Dane, you know, last season and expectation. Where what's the development? situation there um yeah when we did our predictions for the year i think i probably had the wildest most obscenely unlikely possibility of mine which was i said that one of illinois basketball assistants would get a head coaching job elsewhere which would leave which would leave the door open for the triumphant return of orlando antigua to the bench in champagne and i know that sounds ridiculous But it's more wishful thinking on my part because Antigua, not as a recruiter, but as a coach of big men, I don't think we're seeing Dane Danger being unplayable in a game like this if he's working with Antigua in practice every day. Like if you ever watch any video of Antigua mic'd up working with big guys, he really is a great actual coach. He's not just a charming, charismatic recruiter. No, my man can coach. And so, you know, no offense to Jeff Alexander, I think he he brings he brings a lot of good things in the staff. I I am I, I I'm glad that he's there, but um, I, I I hope that Illinois really puts a, an emphasis on coaching big men at a different level, especially with Marez Johnson, who's got NBA potential written all over him coming in next season. You have to get this player development right with your big men. And I'm just not seeing that with Dane. And I think that's a big deal.
1: Yeah, uh, to your point, Plez, and I might have mentioned this in our text chain, you and and Brant and myself, that this is a game in the past where we've seen a Jermaine Hamlin, a Benjamin Bosman's Verdonk, you know, a Brandon Lee, just someone in the middle that can eat a couple of minutes maybe absorb some contact draw some fouls or foul the opposing big man I kind of expected the same thing with Dane like okay this this thing with Ty rogers clearly is not working wouldn't you think bringing in this six foot nine 270 pound guy would be somewhat helpful like again not asking him to shoot or do any like we're not even trying we're not even talking about that just get in the way you know like Maybe you know nudge or hedge a little bit or something, you know, just to counteract that size disparity because Purdue's generally not a very big team. They have one exceedingly large person, but they're not like seven four, six eleven, six ten, six nine. They're not a huge team. Illinois size wise is about the same, with the exception of Edie. So I would I would have thought that too, like if you didn't have Coleman on him, then maybe you would put more of that Dane James for even like Hansberry, just for a couple of minutes, just to, just to be a little more physical because Ty Rogers doesn't have a chance. He's he's six foot six, 220 pounds. Like he's not a small dude, but he's not a center. He's not a power forward. I don't know what the, uh, the staff was seeing there to have, you know, Ty Rogers keep doing that. You're saying, yeah, that was a great move by Matt Painter. And it was, but then wouldn't you try to do something to make that not look like a smart move? Wouldn't you try to do some kind of adjustment? It's like, now we're so committed to playing Ty Rogers. You know, Ty Rogers is our point guard. Now you're so committed to playing him that even when he's getting circles run around him, There's no one else there that could, even for, you know, three or four minutes, even for like the last couple of minutes before a media timeout, just spell them a little bit. That was a little peculiar to me. Uh, I I did think that was strange because we'd seen that in years past where, you know, maybe Kofi was in foul trouble. Okay. Here comes BBV for three or four minutes and he might commit three fouls in that three minutes, but it's three fouls. Kofi's not going to get, but Yeah, I I was surprised that we didn't see more than, what, two minutes of Dane Danger? Like, let him in there. Give him a couple of opportunities to at least just stand in the way. Maybe he can get a rebound because Lord knows nobody else is going to damn rebound on Friday night. You know, Dane Danger is still pretty good at that. So, yeah, I I don't know what the uh, rationale was. And I didn't didn't stick around for the postgame, so I don't know if Brad Underwood had addressed that at all. But it did seem strange to me.
0: Yeah, I think this was a classic Hansberry for a few minutes moment. This is – because what he does well is he – as a true freshman, he'll do more as he moves on throughout his career. I think he's going to be a good player for Illinois. I I was fine. I liked him as a prospect, and I've liked what I've seen from him so far. But what he does as a true freshman is he cleans up where – the game gets mucked. When, when it's a dirty game, when there are loose balls, when there are rebounds coming off the rim at crazy angles, he's going after everything. And he won't get to everything, but it's for a few minutes that kind of intensity, that kind of dogged determination under the glass, which is what Illinois needed in the first half, more that more than anything, with someone who can, you know, get a damn rebound. That was the most important thing. And Hansberry, to his credit, has excelled rebounding already. So I would have liked to have seen him, to your point, in the first half for at least a couple minutes. Just just a couple minutes of energy and fight and then go back to Ty or or, or go to Draven gibbs Lawhorn for a different look on offense. Do something.
1: It's, It's weird to see Illinois just get manhandled on the glass the way that they were, and it wasn't even Edie necessarily. You expect Edie to get 12, 15 rebounds. He's seven foot freaking four. Like you expect Kofi Coburn to get 12, 13, 14 rebounds because he was just that much bigger and wider than everybody else. He took up more space. So I just, that I felt was a missed opportunity. You've got some bigs that can just, I'm just asking you to rebound. I don't need you to score. I don't need you to do anything offensively. Just maybe try to draw a foul maybe draw a charge and get some rebounds and help us out. And then maybe in that first half, instead of being down by 20, they're down by you know 13 or 14 even. And then it looks a lot more tenable moving forward instead of we need another miracle finish just to stay competitive. And so that was the one big glaring weakness I saw on Friday. And Brad Underwood had talked about this at the Tennessee game because Tennessee really pounded Illinois on the boards as well. And he said the same thing. You've got to guard and you've got to rebound the basketball to win on the road. And we saw what happened against Tennessee. They didn't do that. They wound up losing. Again, a competitive game that Illinois ultimately didn't win. Almost the exact script on Friday night at Purdue. Purdue could not miss a freaking shot. It's like everything was going in which doesn't help. And then you also can't rebound. So you're giving them more chances to take shots that they inevitably did not miss.
0: Yeah. It, it's funny. I just mentioned Orlando Antigua. One of his big mantras, with his big man is the following. Pursue it with two hands oh. is what he, t- that's what he always tells you guys, guys. Pursue it with two hands. And that was not happening. So, you know, I still think this game overall, there are some lessons that they can take from it. There are some stylistic things they can change. There are some there's some schematic things they can do to get to get Ty out of troubling situations. And, you know, now, now they know moving forward, you know, conference play, looking at the the next couple of weeks, the schedule looks rel- I don't I don't know if I'd call it favorable, but there are quite a few winnable games on the docket the next few weeks. And I think that if you're if you're Illinois, you should feel pretty good about about your your place in the conference hierarchy right now.
1: Another reminder that OSCE Talk is sponsored by Liddyville LLC. You can support Fighting Illini athletes as well as University of Illinois alumni organizations and charities by purchasing your officially licensed Fighting Illini gear at Liddyville.com. They've got some really cool merch. I wanted to spotlight the The signature hats, including DGL, Marcus Damask, among others. So we've talked a lot about basketball on the show today. You can show your support for those athletes and some others. Check out that selection at Liddyville.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at Liddyville Gear. Plus, Honeywood from the Champagne Room joining me, Drew Pastoric on Oski Talk. I'm glad you mentioned that schedule. I was just pulling that up. Um, You mentioned your favorite head coach, other than Brad Underwood and Tom Izzo, and that's who awaits next for Illinois. They will face Sparty in Champaign. It's a Thursday night game, 8 o'clock. Why do they give us 8 o'clock games during the week? It makes no sense. A 9 p.m. Eastern tip on a Thursday night. how is wrong with you? I know it's TV. Illinois is not making the damn schedule, but come on, 9 p.m. Eastern on a on a a weekday is just asinine. It's just stupid. But Illinois comes in 11 and three. That'll be a home game. You hope that helps. Crowd's going to be absolutely jacked. We know Michigan State's one of those teams that you typically have to go through if you want to consider yourself a upper echelon team in the Big Ten. They've not been that top-tier team the last couple of years. They got off to a sluggish, slow start this year. You mentioned that Baylor game last week on the show, Plez. That, that was their message of, hey, don't forget who the we are. We can still beat anybody in the country. And they've, they've played very well of late. And this is going to be a tricky matchup again.
0: They have, I would argue, the best collection of guards in the conference, and that's going to bode well for them moving forward because they were, you know, it seemed like Michigan State was having issues with figuring out their rotation. And, you know, perhaps they still are. The the big guys were were all asking, why is Xavier Booker not playing more? Um, I I, I know Tom all likes to engage in what's ostensibly hazing of his freshmen to make them earn their minutes and you know it could be a situation where they're just going to unleash Booker later in the season and we're going to see that lottery pick potential that he had coming in to, to East Lansing but when you look at you know Tyson Walker and Jaden Akins and AJ Hogard like that's a formidable trio it is I, I'm glad Illinois has guys like Rogers and Harmon who can contain them a little bit but you're not, gonna, you're not likely to stop all three of them. So my, my, that's my concern is is that Michigan State's coming in, playing well with a tighter rotation and guards who can all kill you in different ways. So it's, I, I know Michigan State's record doesn't look great right now. That team is just, they're rounding into form. They are going to be dangerous. I think they're going to be near the top of the conference again, and they're probably going to make an NCAA tournament run again, regardless of where they're seated, because they're just, yeah, they're just figuring it out. And that's a scary, that's a scary moment to encounter them.
1: Yeah. And we've, we've talked about this at length throughout the off season and anyone that's paid attention to the big 10 knows this, but Michigan state just plays this brutal schedule year in, year out. I think we kind of chuckled a bit when they lost to James Madison in their season opener. And then James Madison started like 13 and zero. they didn't lose until this weekend. So they wound up being a ranked team, which makes the the resume even stronger for them. You know, they played Duke, they played an improving Butler team. They've played Arizona. I mean, they've played just a, a rugged schedule. And of course you got the big 10 on top of that. They've they've already played Wisconsin. They've played Nebraska. Uh, they've played Baylor. We mentioned that. So um, it might not be the juggernauts that we've seen them in the years past, where it's like, oh, they're playing Duke and Kentucky and Carolina back to back to back. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's not quite like that. But to your point, Plez, it's it's the typical Tom Izzo special. It's like clockwork. They're going to play one of the toughest non-conference schedules in the country they may lose three or four of those games. And that will kind of lull you into sleep of, oh, well, they're not that good this year. They're kind of meh. And then they'll go and win 12 or 13 games in the Big Ten. They'll have like a top six seed in the tournament and they'll probably make the second weekend. That's just what they do. And Illinois has had some better luck against them lately. They've gotten some victories. But you mentioned that that triumvirate of guards, man. That's, I want to see how Illinois guards go up against Michigan State. I think that's where this game is going to be won. Similar to like you're playing an NCAA tournament game. The old adage that guard play wins in March, right? If you get a, a, a hot point guard or a guy who's filling it up, that can carry you to success in March. And It's not just one guy you got to think about. It's two guys, three guys, maybe four guys you got to think about on Michigan State's end. So this is a team that that can score a lot of points, but they can also do the the Pizza Hut brawl thing in the parking lot, like Illinois likes to do. So cannot wait to watch this game on Thursday night. A night Eastern tip on a Thursday night. Like we got it, At least it's not on Peacock, right? (laughs) At least it's on over-the-air television. (laughs) Um, So up next for Illinois, after Michigan State, you don't want to get too far carried away. But as you said, we're just kind of trying to lay out the schedule a bit. I don't know if I would say favorable, but there are definitely some winnable games on the schedule. Michigan State at home, Illinois is going to be favored to win that game. It might be two points, three points, whatever, but they're going to be favored to win that game. Then you have Maryland, and this Maryland team is not great. Jameer Young is great. Jameer Young is a stud. Let's not get it twisted, but his supporting cast leaves something to be desired. Doesn't mean Illinois is going to win that game because for some reason, Maryland is one of those teams that just always beats Illinois. It, it's like, they wake up, they're like, what was that Steven Seagal movie where he was in a coma, like hard to kill or something? He's in a coma for like months. And then through the magic of cinema, he emerges from the coma and just starts beating the living crap out of people like without getting any strength back, without any hesitation, just wakes up and starts doing his, you know, Steven Seagal stuff. That's how I feel Maryland is. Maryland could be 0-15 and, and they'll play Illinois and they'll win by 20. It's just there's something about that team. Illinois has a hard time figuring them out. I don't know what it is. Tell me I'm wrong, please. I'm understanding the plot and my role in it.
0: Yes, and and the plot is generally speaking, the guys from College Park, Maryland, tend to like stop Illinois like Beltway traffic when that matchup comes up. Yes. It's just it yes. now I, style of coaching. Um, The the kinds of players they recruit they're Even if they're having a down year, they're always going to be a tough matchup. So even even in a down year, they are 100% not a gimme at all. So yeah, Illinois should probably win. Illinois is probably a better team than them, but the better team doesn't necessarily win that particular matchup, the better team talent-wise.
1: Right. So we got Michigan State on the docket for Thursday. Illinois staying at home to play Maryland on the 14th. So next Sunday. So just get through these first, uh, these next two games at home and then, you know, we'll, we'll reassess and reevaluate um, to that point. Plez, you to try to tread lightly around this, but we know Terrence Shannon jr. Is not currently playing for the fighting Illini. He is suspended indefinitely we've got to treat this like Terrence Shannon's played his last game for the Illini. And I fell into the trap a little bit on Friday by, you know, saying just if TSJ played against Purdue, Illinois wins that game. They needed that one guy that could take over and take charge in the second half. They didn't really have that. Damask was trying and they had guys that were putting an effort, but they didn't have that alpha guy that could finish the comeback. There's been a lot of stuff on social media about, well, without their best player, they did this and they've done this and they've done this without their best player, without Terrence Shannon. And did you know Terrence Shannon is their best player? And did you know he's not playing right now? We've got to get out of that black hole. We've got to pull ourselves out of that. And we can't just use that as the qualifier anymore. We've seen what this team is capable of without TSJ. I like what I've seen. You know, maybe this hinders Illinois' effectiveness in March. Maybe it limits what they can do if we get to that point and Terrence Shannon Jr. is still not on the team. But uh, what are your thoughts on that, Ples? I feel like we got through this past week and we've, or the past three games, I should say, it's been like a week and a half at this point. Illinois has gotten to this point. They they went two and one. Probably won the two games you think they would have won with or without Shannon. They lost to Purdue. They probably don't lose to Purdue based on the results that we have, based on the way they played. It appeared that if Shannon was there, that'd have been a big difference maker. But he's not there. So you alluded to this last week in your piece at the Champagne Room of hey, this is what the team's going to look like for a while. Let's support them instead of talking about who isn't here. Let's focus on who is. That to me is the mindset. That's the mantra you've got to take moving forward.
0: I remember last offseason when there was a question about was he going to stay in the draft or was he going to come back. And the coaching staff went into the portal and got guys who would be able to play. Play effectively and play successfully, whether or not Shannon came back. It just so happens that those guys are generally making a very positive impact game over game. Guerrier, Damask, and Harmon have come in and stabilized this roster. So that's what I mean by focusing on the guys who are here. I think the staff. Had been prepared to lose Shannon regardless. I know there's different circumstances. It's into the season and not before the season. So the adjustment period is going to be different and handled and handled in you know, a more complicated fashion because there are different challenges now. But I think looking at the roster as it stands right now, this is clearly a highly competitive roster. This is a team that's not going to say, oh, we lost the player, we're doomed. This is the next man up group of dudes. And everyone seems hungry and ready for an opportunity. That Purdue game was evidence that these guys are like, oh, we're in a fight now. We're down by 20. And we're not supposed to even come close to winning this game. What do they do? Made a run. Now, you can talk about fake rallies all day, but that team didn't lie down when there was adversity. This team responds well to adversity. So that's, I think that's, if nothing else for fans, that's the kind of team you can get behind. The team that sees the chips are down and fights through it. I remember last year's team, there, there were a lot of questions about some players on this team and do they have the mental toughness and the team orientation to survive when times get tough. And then that tournament game just... It was all it was all there for the world to see, right that that solidified,
1: was, solidified that they were not <laughs> exactly
0: all the rumors that we had all heard from the people we talked to, it looked they all looked true in those moments in that game. and whereas this year's team, you hear the exact opposite. and it looks like the exact opposite we watched them on the court. So you know again, have these have the backs of these young men. This is a tough experience for them. They're they're rallying together. They're relying on their veteran leadership. And that's that's the team that makes a tournament run. Teams like San Diego State last year, right? These teams that have veteran guys who have been there, done it, and know how to do it again and are willing to yeah. play a, a role that's less than the role they
1: had in their previous stop. Yep. Yeah, and don't have that "quote unquote" superstar player, that one elite guy.
0: Yeah, no hero ball. Like yeah. even even the teams that we that we all loved a few years ago, right? They had, you had two first team All Americans on those teams, so a lot of times it all fell off. Yeah, good role players. I, I, again, we've talked about Plummer and how man, I wish we'd have a guy like Plummer on the roster every year, right? Talk about guys like Plummer. Obviously, Trent and guys like that were, were extraordinarily helpful, but it's about Kofi and Io. It's about Kofi and Io. And sometimes that slows everything to a halt if, the, if that superstar is off. Whereas now, if someone's like got if, if like Damask's three-point shot isn't falling, well, they've got someone else who can step in and step up. They've got someone else who can attack you in a different way, which will set them up to get better shots later on in the game. This team is constructed to win regardless of whether or not they have their superstar. I'm not trying to say you're better off without a name guy, but in this situation, I think this roster is constructed to win consistently.
1: Yeah. I love what Harmon's been doing lately. Um, I was a big fan of that sign when he came in. First of all, he's a Chicago guy. So you should want as many of the in-state or Chicago guys to be in the orange and blue as possible. You should always want that. But he played a lot of games and won a lot of games. Certainly won a hell of a lot more games than Illinois won last year. I don't care that he played for Utah Valley. They were in the final four of the NIT. And Justin Harmon was a big reason for that team's success. So we've talked about this on the football side with Brett Bielema too. Like, yeah, it'd be great to get a Caleb Williams. It'd be great to get a five-star recruit to come – line up alongside of us, but we could also get 10 other guys if we miss out on this guy that actually fit what we're wanting to do. And I think Justin Harmon's a perfect example of that on the basketball side. Uh, Damask certainly has been one of those guys. Garrier, I think, is probably – the guy I want to see take that lead role. Again, we've seen this in other games where uh, we've had 17, 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, like not one guy's doing all the work, but you have five guys scoring 12, you know, you're not going to get one guy that scores 60, but you get five guys that score 12. That's pretty damn good. They all count the same, whoever's putting them in. So yeah, I, I think for me, Garrier and Harmon are the ones that need to supplement this. Damask is going to be probably the primary scoring option while TSJ is away. But if you can get something similar to what Gary's done, you know, 14 points, 10 rebounds, you get like 13 and 8 out of him, and like 13 and 7 out of Coleman. And if Justin Harmon can give you a 12 or 13 off the bench and hit you know 40% from three pretty solid group that you can turn to.
0: And then you factor in whatever Luke Goody can give you.
1: Yeah, true. Um, and, he had a and, really nice game against Purdue. Very yeah. solid effort against Purdue. Then he had four threes against the Boilermakers.
0: And and all of a sudden you look you got a rotation that is redundant in a good way, where if someone's not playing well, you can bring in someone who can – replicate what he would do in a better in a better case scenario and obviously you still have Ty Rodgers, who has room to grow offensively shall we say um but <laughs> that
1: would be kind yes yes
0: yeah great. I mean yes he, he he has room to grow offensively but but from a scoring perspective in terms of right. basketball IQ passing ability offensive rebound cutting moving without the ball he's really good at all that stuff what he gives you there and what he gives you defensively is going to contribute to winning. So I think this roster is built to win. This roster is built better to win in March than it is to win regular season games, which is yeah, which is a great construction. I think
1: Illinois has room to climb and just really stay afloat. If they finish top three or four in the Big Ten, they're going to look they're going to be fine, and I think they can do that with the roster the way they have it now
0: and with the with the conference hierarchy from a talent perspective where it stands right now I think that's about where Illinois should be I think Illinois is one of the top top 4 teams let's say in the conference and if they if they if they finish if yeah. they finish in that in that range that probably gives them you know a pretty pretty nice selection Sunday you know probably they're not going to have to sweat anything out they're probably going to have a favorable seed they'll probably you know, have to play. I don't know. Like, I don't know. They'll probably get Duke or something in the first round. You know, like, like said,
1: they'll like, get they'll get Gonzaga as uh yeah. as a twelve seed or something. Yeah, yeah they'll, <laughs> they'll play
0: Duke. They'll they'll play Duke or Gonzaga in a five twelve game. That's you know, no big deal. It'll
1: <laughs> and it'll be in Greensboro, North Carolina. Yeah, or they'll play in Seattle or Portland or somewhere. They'll, they'll
0: play in Boise. No, trust me for for Gonzaga. But Boise, yeah. Bo, Bo, Boise is more is more culturally and, and geographically relevant to Gonzaga than Seattle. Trust me on that one. But yeah, sure. Yeah, that, that, but that's but that's where the matchup will be, will inevitably be somewhere in that region. <laughs>
1: it might it might be in Spokane. Yeah. yeah. Uh so please you wrote you wrote a piece uh, kind of akin to this what we were talking about. Uh, you put a piece together you're saying you know Illinois roster is ready for prime time. You know, despite that loss to Purdue, this we're just continuing we're accompanying that conversation uh, to your article. Um, yeah, you know, I, I would agree. I think based on what we've talked about today, and if you read the article, at the Champagne Room, you'll probably see a lot of the similar stuff we've been talking about today. So I, I think that's it's valid. It's valid to point out. And Kyle put together an article similar as well at the Champagne Room. His column, that Illinois can still be the Big Ten's best team, and he lays out how you know Illinois is behind Purdue for now, but there are guys on this roster. There's a way for Illinois to compete and still possibly win this Big Ten. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Friday night was two very, very good teams competing, and it wasn't a high-level game for the first, like, maybe 28 minutes. But the last 12, you can inject that into my veins, man. That's, That's March all day long. And that's, that's what we're waiting on. And Brant said that last week on the show that the one thing Brad Underwood has yet to do is win in March. He's checked off every other box, big 10 champion, big 10 tournament champion, winning lots of regular season games, recruiting very well at a, at a championship level. The last thing that's left is the second weekend. You know, if Illinois gets to the second weekend especially if you're doing it without Terrence Shannon. If we go that far and he's still not a part of the team, if you can get to the Sweet 16 with the way this roster is set up now what the team is presently constructed, and hell, maybe you get Moretti back healthy too. Maybe he shows up and he can contribute a little bit. Maybe you get some more contributions from DGL or Hansberry. If they can you know, just chip in a little bit, team's got depth. This roster is in a really good spot.
0: Completely agree. It's it's been a fun season so far, despite the adversity, despite the challenges. I think that the this roster has responded extraordinarily well, and I have no reason to believe that that is going to change anytime soon.
1: Yeah. Uh, before we wrap things up, Plez, and I thank you for your your time again this weekend. I just wanted to to give a an update as of this recording. The women are playing Wisconsin in Champaign. Uh, it's 26-25 Badgers at the break. So Wisconsin on top of Illinois, 26-25. Illinois, 6-6. Six and six. Trying to get that elusive first Big Ten win. And um, at the half, Adalia McKenzie leading Illinois, nine points and seven rebounds at the half. So just wanted to give a quick update uh, for those of you who might be wondering why we didn't talk about women's basketball that much today as of the time we're recording this episode that game is still in progress so that is going to do it for oski talk thank you so much for listening of course you can check out prior episodes at thechampagneroom.com you can also subscribe to oski talk and download wherever you get your podcasts as well you can also follow us on social media as well facebook instagram twitter tons of content for you all the time We certainly appreciate the following, appreciate the support that you give the Champagne Room and Oski Talk as well. We'll be back next week. Well, I know I'll be back, plus maybe, maybe, maybe not. We'll see what happens, but uh, a busy week of hoops on tap for Illinois men as well. We talked about that a little bit earlier with Michigan State and the Terps making their way to Champagne Thursday and Sunday respectively. We'll be here to talk about that next week as well. Plus, thanks again for your contributions. Always appreciate the time, brother.
0: Always a pleasure, thank you very much for having me. Hi, I and I.